every time we do it, we do it a little bit better. So we're always learning, and that's the the thing in um, you know in farming. There's always um, always things to learn and, and to, ways to develop, um, and, and be as Sarah said, be pro profitable along the way. We've we've got um, budgets that we still need to meet on farm um, as far as uh, you know live weight gain uh, on farm. So to be able to still continue that along that track and. and pump those weight gains along it's it, it is quite rewarding to see that that at this stage it's it's working um, quite well. The Biological Farming Roundtable podcast helps farmers explore innovative low input regenerative and profitable farming systems. The Biological Farming Roundtable is sponsored by Nutrisoil an award-winning biological liquid fertiliser made from a big worm farm. Nutrisoil's purpose is to empower farmers to produce life-enriching food. My name is Nicola Maddock. I work at Nutrisoil. I envisage a future where farmers are rewarded for producing nutrient-rich foods and consumers have this easily available to them. Hello, today I'm here with Aidan and Sarah Coombe. Uh, Aidan is the farm manager of Westmore, a 3,400 hectare grazing property owned by Greenhams in the west of Tasmania. They also have their own farm uh, that Sarah predominantly does work in while Aidan works here. Um, tell us a bit about, um, firstly about your farm, Sarah, I'll open it up to you. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, we, we bought our farm in three different um, areas uh, they all join which is very we're very fortunate um, so we bought uh, first of all um, a 72 acre block um, and with a house on it um, so that's how we really got a start um, and then we um, had a bit of a look around we then bought another 140 acre block um, and then a 23 acre block so all join up which is yeah which we're very fortunate yeah, fabulous. And what what do you farm on there? Um, so we we have breeding cows, um, and we've also got some dairy beef hobby calves. Yeah. Okay. And Aidan, tell us about Greenham's. Yeah, sure, sure. So, um, yeah, Westmore. It's uh, twenty seven hundred hectares of effective grazing. Um, so we're all grass fed. Um, we generally finish five to five and a half thousand um, cattle every year for the processing facility in Smithton. Um, mainly under the the Never Ever um, banner, um, which is one of our or, or our grass fed program. Um, one of the the key brands for that is is Cape Grim Beef, which is widely known around Australia, but also um, worldwide, especially in America. Um, yeah, so rotationally grazed. Um, we generally um, only feed out some silage um, through the autumn period where we want to build a feed wedge going into winter um, really focusing on a, a grass-based system so yeah okay and I'm also here with Robin Tate um, Robin is a consultant in Tasmania and she really specializes in diversity and natural farming systems and uh, Robin consults for um, Aidan and Sarah and I think you have another a traditional agronomist as well um, so how long, Aidan, have you been working the uh, Westmore farm? Yeah, sure. So funnily enough, um, when I left Year 12 in 2013, I come and worked here as a farmhand um, before Greenham's owned the property. Um, and then I think Westmore or Greenham's have owned Westmore for eight years now. Um, so I 
I uh, come back on um, and, and managed uh, Westmore uh, started three years ago, so we're in our, our fourth year managing the property. Um, yeah, so it's been a terrific challenge um, coming from a probably more a livestock buying um, career. So I spent five years as a, as a buyer for the, the company, um, traveling um, on, the, on the far northwest mainly, but also spending time on the mainland, um, auditing farmers into our Never Ever program when that was first getting getting underway, um, yeah, a, across the water on the Big Island um, through southern Australia. So anywhere from, from where you guys up in, in Albury, Wodonga, through to Kingston Southeast to, to the mountains of Victoria. So I got to see a lot of lot of country. Um, but, yeah, so that's sort of my, my quick story about, about how I come to, to manage Westmore. So. Okay. And... Sarah, you've got a farming background. Yes, yeah, I grew up on a dairy farm yep. um, in Tagari. Yeah, so my, my dad um, and my mum, yeah, ran a dairy farm and, and so I've, I've grown up on a dairy farm. Yeah, okay. Um, I'll ask about the Never Ever program a bit later, but sure. first I want to hear more about um, where you were and the transition that you've had um, in increasing your soil health and how you've done it. Yeah, sure. So um, I've always liked to think that I think outside the square and, and trying to, to push the limits on, on what we do um, and, and researching different ways of doing things. And it was probably um, the first spark that I had was sitting down watching the Netflix um, documentary uh, Kiss the Ground or Kiss the Dirt. Um, and so that I started to ask a few questions around that but it, it probably, there was a bit of a lull period where I, I didn't do too much more digging, but then have, have come come to this uh, scenario or, or um, place where there is a big wide world of, of knowledge to, to be had in, in the soil health aspect and, and the link between soil health and also human health is... is I couldn't believe how big a, big a link there actually was between the two. So um, Westmore's been a tradition, traditionally farmed in a synthetic, um, synthetic way. So still, still a grass-based system, but, but very much um, synthetic inputs, so fertilisers and, and potentially some sprays um, in the synthetic space. But over the last 12 months, 12 to 18 months, we've started to really work in a more natural, natural state um, with our our foliar feeding and and the fertilizers that we do use are, are very much in the the natural or biological uh, space um, so that's that's going to be um, an interesting one to continue to to work through um, improvements in animal health um, improvements in the the soil structure and microbial activity um, and and then obviously um, helping along the dung beetles and and the worms the bees all those natural things that might be a little bit su suppressed in a synthetic operation so trying to enhance the the uh, what do you call it, the natural, um, not the natural investment, but the, the natural side of, of what we've actually got got on farm um, to help, help uh, at the end of the day, be profitable, but be profitable in a, in a good, clean clean way. So, yeah. Yeah. So 
Aiden, like the west coast of Tasmania is quite different to the rest of Tassie and probably a lot of our Australian mainland listeners probably do you want to describe what the farm is like and your weather conditions and yeah only the toughest survived down here Robin so <laughs> um, we're on a, a thousand and fifty to 1200 mil rainfall yeah and that a lot of that rain pr- predominantly falls through June July August um, so there is a thing called sideways rain and you do <laughs> get a lot of that through that period. So um, the, the plant species that, that are here or, or have been here in the past, they've been survivors. You know, that this climate, you know, it doesn't, it do, doesn't actually necessarily frost. Um, we might get two, three frosts here a year if we're lucky, um, but, but it's bitterly cold when that big westerly, southerly um, wind comes through with rain. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a different climate and, um, people come and, and, um, you know, from whether they're from the mainland or even from other parts of Tassie to, to work. And they, that's one thing they really notice, especially at that time of the year is it's a harsh environment. Um, so yeah, we, we've sort of learnt to enjoy it and embrace it and, um, don't moan too much about it when we've got to, got to get all our wet weathers on and go out for the day. Um, it's just a part of the, the farming, farming scene here. And, um, yeah, we, we love it um, for sure. Sarah, were you watching the Kiss the Ground movie at the same time? Yes, I was. Yeah. Okay. So what was the discussions? Cause you're from a traditional farming, yeah, um, yeah. family. Were you, Look, I think it was, very, it was so eye-opening. Like, I'd never... It's like opening the doors to a different side of things that I just never had thought about before. And so I guess going from, yeah, from a, um, a traditional dairy farming um, high-inputs um, scenario, like, and then all of a sudden seeing um, what could happen. Um, I mean, yes, there was a lot of doubts and a lot of... Um, yeah, things that we talked through, but um, I guess until you start to implement some things to actually, yeah, turn some things around, I guess you, you can't say it doesn't work unless you try. Yeah, yeah, you were certainly, um, we were talking before, making sure always profitable. So, yeah, of course we can do this and it might be better for human health, it might be better for the animal health, but are we going to stay profitable? Are we going to stay on this farm? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and, and I guess growing up, like my dad was always like, okay, so if we do this, if we feed, um, if we yeah, put on this much urea or this much fertiliser, then we can get uh, this much grass growth, which will then in turn um, be profitable. Um, and so I guess taking away those high inputs and then putting more of a um, regenerative side of things onto things like how is that going to stack up in the long run and how how is this going to be profitable if we're not putting those things in how are we going to grow the grass (laughs) which then fattens your beef um and yeah makes your money so yeah so robin what consulting do you do that's different to the agronomic consulting that they might have received previously or still at the at the time so working together yeah so I I suppose I bring in a perspective of um, reading the landscape and what's actually happening in the whole farm ecosystem and soil and Mm. looking at what the the weeds or the indicator plants are telling us out there and just bringing that knowledge to Aidan Aidan's very much a person who's researched a lot and it just having someone for him to bounce those ideas off and that knowledge that he's bringing into the farm how does this actually work and 
translate into the grass production or and then also we're looking at bringing in diversity into the pastures so um, some advice around what seeds to be bringing how can we get that actually growing in our paddocks when we're trying like we're not using sprays to spray off the paddock before we plant and heavy cultivation it's all around I suppose it's working as a team to brainstorm how we could be doing everything differently yeah Going back to what you were doing before your synthetics, um, did you transition? What what was the steps to to because you're synthetic free now on this farm, which is amazing for a commercial um, beef finishing farm. Um, yeah, tell us about the transition. Yeah, sure. So I always talked about potentially knocking a rotation out and just just investigating it and, and doing it for a rotation and a rotation I mean that that's where livestock would would move through um, so for you know a mob of 300 you'd probably have 150 to 200 hectares so I was I was keen and, and planning to to um, yep give that a try um, but the more research and the dig, the, the further I dug into to, um, what can happen in the regenerative space, um, there was a certain amount of leap of faith, um, but I was confident that, that things were going to turn around. We're already, the soil um, to a certain degree was already in a, a reasonably healthy spot. We're not, we, ha we didn't have highly degraded soils, but I wanted to, to um, or we wanted to enhance the, the soil. So, um, you know, generally spreading synthetic um, superphosphates um, through through uh, the late spring and, and early autumns, um, potentially doing a, a spray for weeds through the autumn period for an autumn clean that's traditionally done in the area. Um, you know, those things, you know, were knocked out and, and were replaced with, with some things like uh, reactive rock phosphate, uh, foliar spray including the nutrisoil um, with some kelp and fish hydrolysate um, and then also working with the, the species um, grass grass or or the sward um, in a direct drilling scenario so um, still plenty of work to do in that space to, to get a really good establishment um, to to direct drill um, pasture that hasn't been sprayed out in this environment. All those plants are survivor plants that are originally there. So to, to out-compete them and, and get above them is, is, you know, taking some work to, to nut out and work through. But every time we do it, we do it a little bit better. So we're always learning and that's the... The thing in um, you know in farming, there's always um, always things to learn and and to, ways to develop um, and and be as Sarah said, be pro profitable along the way. We've we've got um, budgets that we still need to meet on farm um, as far as uh, you know live weight gain um, on farm. So to be able to still continue that along that track and and um, pump those weight gains along, it's it, it is quite rewarding to see that that at this stage it's it's working um quite well so you're yep. definitely monitoring you're doing your soil tests your sap tests you're visually walking the paddocks all the time yeah you've got other people working on the property as well and you're doing the weight yeah um you know weighing them in yep. so um it's 
uh, something that, you know, it's taking the risk out when you're monitoring mm. so much. Mm. The species that you had in before, I think it was there was three species. How many species are you moving up to now? Yeah, look, we're trying to work with 10 to a dozen um, species, obviously, obviously trying to hit all the plant families that we we can um, to get the, the corn, se- corn sensing happening and, and um, diversity of sugars down, down the root systems. Um, so I don't know whether the upper limit of the amount of, amount of seed that can uh, go into the ground for, for the different species and families. But um, yeah, I think if we can, we can start to establish, you know, at least half a dozen of those and, and then start to tweak up from there. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be going to be beneficial for the soil, but then also animal health um, and then live weight gain um, through that as well. So yeah, and the species mixes, Robin, you're you're putting those together. Yeah, helping put them together, and then yeah, working yeah. with the um, seed supplier to in what um, varieties we can actually get of those particular spe- um, families. So. So um, is it difficult to source seed? Um, see, uh, bear seed particularly can be quite tricky here in Tasmania. We do have that little piece of water that um, requires us to have high quarantine <laughs> standards. So it's not easy for us to get something like Grant Sims mixes in. And But then in saying that, we've got some really interested people in Tassie who are doing a great job getting um, new species in for us and the, and the different the different like plant families like um something like Facelia, the sheep's burnet um we're looking at sheep's parsley as well and how we can get those in so yeah it, it's a little bit challenging but it's getting a lot easier yeah, yeah. and the way that you sow these uh species in is it's changed as well tell us how you used to um manage sowing and, and what your process is now? Yeah, sure. So um, Westmore um, has had quite a thick um, root thatch or mat or whatever you want to call it. So um, we've always seen that we need to, to bust that root mat up um, to be able to, to get new seed to germinate and grow. So it was always uh, disking um, first and then go go through with a rotary hoe with the air seeder on the back to to chop up any of that weed root mat, um, which to a certain degree um, worked quite well, especially um, especially when, because um, we generally do that in the spring. So spring can be a time obviously where the tap turns off and it doesn't rain, but for the far northwest, we always tend to get a shower of rain when we really need it. Um, so that, that did, did establish quite well, um, but, We've moved away from that for numerous reasons, obviously, you know, trying to keep the ground covered and and um, minimal tillage. Um, so moved uh, to the Novag drill, um, which is the direct drill. Um, the particular drill that, that we use um, has just had liquid inject um, put into that system. So we're really excited um, with that. Uh, we've still still um, got to work on our seed treatment with, with Nutrisoil and potentially kelp. Um, just to help with that that germination and the biology around the seed, um, yeah. So there's there's plenty plenty still to work on and and um, and work towards. But every time we're doing it, we're doing it hopefully a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sarah, you're probably uh, again talking previously. Like we just you know keep it simple. We just want to know 
what's going to work and how to do it profitably. And um, Aidan, you get a little bit more into the science of things. We went to a, well, Nutrisoil put on a day with Joel um, Williams and Soil First um, in Tasmania on Tuesday and you guys both went and you both walked away with something just a little bit different. So tell us, um, Sarah, firstly tell us what you took away from it and what your feelings were. Yeah, so... Um, as I said, like I think we can overcomplicate things so much, but um, it was just so interesting just hearing the science behind it. Like, yes, we know that um, mixed species, um, yeah, enhances your your soil health, and but I guess just hearing the science behind it and and why that actually um, works, I guess. Um, and for me, like um, just just hearing about the the compounds and the um, yeah, just the what is it called? Yeah, the, the micros and the, macros. Yeah, yeah, the micros yeah. and macros, and just and just the process of I guess the plant actually making the proteins and what it requires um, at each stage. Mm. Um, and so that was really interesting. Of if if it doesn't have um, nitrogen at that stage, then that will just then cut off. Um, so that was really interesting. Also, um, I guess just the different if you've got mixed species in in a in a paddock, um, the different root systems can draw up the different. Um, yeah, different minerals and, and I guess the length of the, the root systems as well. Um, yeah, like we, we know that like a mixed species crop is is um, really good, but mm. but we've just, yeah, I guess I've never really thought of it, of mm. why, yeah, why it is important. Yeah, mm. interesting that complexity, nature has done that. Itself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we look at all of those different cofactors that it needs and there's a list and then there's more because he said he didn't put it all up there. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that mineralisation and the microbes making all that available is really that end goal, isn't it? But yeah. there's that transition um, that, that Joel's really helping people to try and understand and it can get tricky. Mm. And I guess one, one other thing was like if you've got a, a crop with just the one um, species through it, like that's actually more competitive for those plants than um, getting, because they're all after the same um, nutrients and, yeah, and um, the same root level. That was really, really mm. interesting. Whereas if you've got different species, mixed species in that crop, then they're all um, different root levels. So yeah, access to different nutrients, yeah. um, they're looking for different things. And so, yeah, very, very interesting. Yeah, more, more is solubilised, so you don't get that build-up of what he's talking about, that nitrate that doesn't actually get through the system because it doesn't have the cofactors. Yeah. 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 Aidan, what did you get out of it? Yeah, so um, a big thing um, that I I learnt or, or um, probably just re-established some things in my mind was around the micronutrients we focus in the conventional space so much about uh, MPK, but probably forget about um, a lot of other minerals, um, micros and macro minerals um, in the whole system, um, and especially potentially um, around silicon and, and things that you wouldn't even give a second thought to that can have so so many critical factors in animal health and root development and um, yeah, all, all those things. So. Let's not just focus on the surface and the two or three that, that get pushed down our throats in a conventional space. We've really got to, got to understand um, a little bit deeper than that on the, the micro and macro scale. So, yeah, it was nice to reinforce some of those some of those things that I've been listening to or reading. And, mm. and um, yeah, there, there was so much, I think, everyone walked away from it with their heads absolutely full um and it just takes some time to to digest what what joel's saying because he's just brilliant at, yeah. at um yeah 
communicating and, and, and getting people to understand it. So, yeah. yeah. I must say it was an extremely attentive crowd. Yeah. Like everyone was just totally focused and wanting to learn. And, yeah, I think sometimes we all had a little bit of shut-eye because it was a <laughs> big day. <laughs> so <laughs> much, so much. But then you would hear something that you needed to hear and you're like, yeah. okay, right, we're going again. <laughs> yeah. and, and every time that you, once you're in that space and you're researching, sometimes it's really heavy to start with and you're like, oh, man, I'm never going to remember this or understand it. And then you go to something like that. And it just all starts to become so clear and, and you can understand it. So, yeah, I think don't get disheartened and bogged down by the science straight up. Yeah. You've got to work and ease your way into it. It is. You've really yeah. got to let that drip feed happen. For So you've got to unwind everything you've learned, don't yeah, you? Especially absolutely. from the conventional yeah. system. You're like, yep. well... Well, no, but that doesn't work. Well, have you tried? Mm, you know, yeah, you've yeah. been doing this for so long and now you're actually in a different soil from when you might have tried before. Yeah. So there's so much going on. And this is going to be a bit more, you're going to learn a bit more, I guess, because you've heard so much, Robin. What did you take from Joel's talk? Uh, I just, for me, I love listening to the why or understanding why we're seeing maybe plants not like, you know, in a leaf test, you might have really high nitrates and you're like, well, why is this? And we go, oh, well, the rates are good, but then it's actually maybe we're missing all our micronutrients. So, yeah, I love finding, hearing the detail and the science behind the why, and that just helps me to be able to explain it to everybody else who I'm working with. And for me, the amino acids, supplying a plant with amino acids which can come from nutritious soil, um, which is amazing that um, that natural product has got... The worm got, makes it. The worm mm. makes the amino acids. And then the plant doesn't have to use as much energy because it's the, the building blocks which go into the proteins. Mm. And one big thing for me is when we are using chemicals like herbicides and fungicides, the plant actually sees that as a toxin and it wants to detox and has to use energy mm. and breaks down the proteins into the amino acids to then detox the plant and then use that energy to break that again and then put it back into the proteins. And if we could actually supply our amino acids... When we may be putting out up the herbicide, yeah. yeah, the plant doesn't have to lose its energy. It's March. We don't check the, check the, um, yeah, the production of that plant. So yeah, so much. And I think every time we get together and have a conversation, we go, oh yeah, I remember that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and oh yeah, that's how that actually works. So yeah, yeah. A great day. And I, it's just amazing. No one wanted to leave. Um, no. And we went a whole hour over time and everyone still had a million questions. Yeah. So, yep. yeah. And everyone was trying to make whatever they were doing the day smaller so we could hear more about <laughs> Joel. Yeah, that's yeah, right. From Joel. I mean, he was an international speaker and he was just, he was brilliant. And he, his energy kept going up through yeah. the day. He was amped up. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. He's yeah. really, yeah, he has found his passion and knows how to educate us. Yeah, yeah. very good educator. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. Uh, so no synthetics at all on the property? So um, that's in the foliar um, space and in the fertiliser space for sure. Um, on our animal health side, we still do, um, some of the, the products are, are certified organic um, or, or in that space, um, but there is still a few products that we use, mainly selenium, um, that, that is in a synthetic form um, and, and some drench, but we are starting to 
to use less and less of that um, over time, but but I see that the animal health side of it with their trace elements is critical in growth and, and lots of different things. Um, so I'm still not confident to completely drop some of those things out, um, but definitely in the, the fur and, and foliar space, yeah, we've been, been 12 months um, with, with no synthetics, so yeah. yeah. And how would you say that your pastures are looking with that transition? Yeah, we've, we've noticed it on both properties um, and when you talk about um, in in late spring last to, to dry off and, and first to, to get going again and we're probably seeing that a little bit this this autumn um, with the, the minimal rainfall that we've had that it, it has stayed green and, and growing and, and each um, bit of rain that we get it, it does boost along pretty well so um, yeah visually we can can see that there's there is um, some some benefit out of that um, let alone all the things it's doing um, underground that we can't see so yeah. And Sarah, the numbers are stacking up for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, okay. yeah, no, like, I, again, I'm just so surprised of how well, I guess, well, on our own property, how well that's looking um, for this time of year for the rainfall that we've had. Um, and, and, yeah, like, I don't know if we could have done it if we were with synthetics. Um, yeah, for, I guess, how dry it has been. Um, mm. Just being able to retain the moisture. And, um, and yeah, so... So far, so good. <laughs> and with the like, we would generally um, do a blend with with nitrogen NPK, um, which obviously is going to dry your root system out over the summer. So we haven't haven't done that, and and I think the roots have have um, held in well and, and kept drawing moisture up. Um, so yeah, it's it's pretty positive, Nicola. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. And you're doing the sap and the tissue tests, and you are identifying two traces that aren't. Um, probably coming through to the plant at the moment. Tell us about that. Yeah, so what we did at, at our own property um, last autumn was um, we done some sap testing, then we done some foliar spraying um, of Nutrisoil and, and, and the mix, um, and then re-sapped, um, I think it was like two or three weeks after it, um, and one of the, or two of the, the elements was boron and molybdenum was basically below desired level. So it was just completely non-existent in the plant. Um, and also uh, high nitrate because that was the last time that we'd spread mm -hmm. some urea. So there was a few things there that, that started to, to prick me ears. So um, we'll start sap testing very shortly again this year. Um, and I think we'll see potentially maybe boron and, and molybdenum might be still lagging in the system. Um, because on our totals testing, they have also been quite low actually in the soil. Um, every every other element on the totals test is quite high in the red basalt, um, but those two uh, are two that are, are a bit lower on the on the soil test. So it will be interesting to see with the saps over the next um, three or four months that we do them, where the they um, they sit on the charts. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, on the Westmore property, is is it similar with the tissue, the sap tests there, or it's more you're seeing in, in the animal that you needed to address those trace mineral? Yeah, definitely in the animal, yeah. um, we could see some some uh, big big deficits, especially in selenium and copper. Um, 
the soil here um, being on high rainfall over the time there's probably been a lot of leaching happening um, so the animal doesn't um, hasn't in the past got much mineral out of the plant so hopefully that'll change going forward that's one thing that that I'm really looking forward to is if we can actually start to get some of the mineral out of the plant um, so we don't have to go and go and um, I suppose manually do that with the with the animal um, still plenty of sap testing to do uh, the 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 micros or the, yeah the micros um, there's definitely a limited supply in this Westmore country um, it was predominantly tea tree type country button grass plains and things like that so um, there wasn't a heap of diversity um, back in the day um, and yeah for whatever reason it just doesn't have as much mineral compared to the the red basalt so yeah yeah okay you did tell me um when we were driving around that you had plants that were uh, they're just showing a bit of purple so you were thinking okay well I've got a phosphorus deficiency here um, but then when you looked at your totals phosphorus was really high that was a bit of an eye-opener yeah um, for sure so uh, yeah looking at looking at the uh, the plan and it's it's showing you know potentially that it that it was a phosphorus deficiency um, but um, I could have went and just single super or, or put put whatever phosphorus um, onto the soil and, and hope for the best in the next year but then looking at the totals and seeing that phosphorus is, is through the roof in that soil um, get back to basics and get the soil health right and get the microbial activity in with the worms um, yeah to really get that phosphorus cycling and we, we're starting probably to see a little bit of that that um, ring true the the purpling wasn't there this spring um, so yeah, there's some, some good signs there. Yeah. So the multi-species robin that you're putting together, do you see that they have the potential to balance and bring all of these micronutrients, will it balance out? Yeah, we're hoping that it will. I mean, because every plant has the ability to unlock different micro, well, I will take that back. Mm. Taking, um, actually feeding the bio different biology, which unlocks different micronutrients. So by getting our diversity of plants out there, lots of different plant families um, is going to be feeding a particular uh, microbial community, which will hopefully unlock some of the selenium and the, the phosphorus and everything that's lacking out there. Um, yeah, so there's lots of potential to to create and get this to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And the plan, so you've only done two paddocks so far with these multi species. How many paddocks? How uh, we done that. Do? Yeah, so the first trial last autumn was 10 hectares okay. and then done a bigger trial in the spring on 150 hectares. Um, and we did 10 hectares at our own property as well. So um, we're going to go again at both properties. Westmore will do about 130 hectares. We'll do about 10 hectares. Um, and continue to, to learn and, and, you know, tweak species um, that might might have done well or, or mightn't have done well just to, to really, uh, yeah, create that diversity and continue to build on that. Yeah. yeah, and what, I mean, what works well at the moment while the soil's building might be completely different in a couple of years' time as that soil starts to transition mm. and the evolution of biology happens under there. So Yeah, and for us at Westmore, um, when the cattle first come, um, we give them a, a pretty significant induction on the trace elements. So that's one thing that I'm going to have to really be on to going forward is if, if the soil is building some of those micros um, into the plant, 
um, that we're actually not going to the nth degree and, and actually overloading their system system with it. So um, that's one thing that, that I could see in the distance that we, we will need to be really on to that to make sure that our cattle are still happy. Mm. Yeah. So you have like a pasture improvement plan. You probably always have. Mm. Where do you see this going in the next 10 years? Yeah, yep. So for the Westmore property, 2,700 hectares. So hopefully we'll do um, about 270 hectares a year, split over the two autumn, um, autumn and spring um, to, to then get around it in 10 years. Um, trying to obviously add as much diversity as we can and in 10 years time I think we'll be much wiser than what we are right now too so we can really hone in on on what's working and, and what's not um, but yeah creating a, a diverse diverse pasture um, one thing that is probably lacking on Westmore a little bit a lot of our shelter um, has been exposed to, to animals um, or, or cattle around them so some of the trees aren't, aren't liking that so we're going to to start a pretty big program based around fencing off um, a lot of the trees that might still be in paddocks um, and, and also adding more shelter, shelter belts and, and diversity that the cattle potentially can't get access to. So um, in the wet climate, tree roots and cattle don't, don't mix that well. So got to keep them, keep them out of it where possible. Okay. Yeah. Aidan, you've talked about human health and, and your interest in the connection to that and I think from Kiss the Ground and, and everything. But Sarah, where's, what do you think about that connection from how we farm to human health and how you're managing the cattle and the pastures? Yeah, sure. Like, I mean, it's it's natural to, to do what we're doing um, and I guess going down a regenerative spot. Um, I mean, I've always been, I guess coming from a, a farming background, it's always sort of the greeny thing and 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 it's it's not that like it's not a, a, the greeny um thing but um I, I guess just trying to get um the nutrients out of the food that we eat and and I guess having your eyes open to to what is actually sprayed onto our food and what is put in buckets there's no wonder that there's so many people with mm. um, deficiencies and and so many sicknesses out there um that they probably never had 30 40 50 60 years ago um and so i guess trying to get our cattle in as healthy a spot as they can be um and then in turn that beef is going to be a lot more healthier for um mm -hmm. humans to then eat so nutrient dense nutrient dense yeah yeah it's yeah. the buzz yeah. word really isn't it yeah. nutrient dense but let's yeah. not be that crazy greeny that's no, making I mean, it really hard for farmers and they right. don't understand what farming is let's mm -hmm. make this easy for farmers let's make it and profitable and profitable yeah. yeah keep family farmers on farms absolutely because yeah. at the end of the day we're probably fairly young in the farming sector but we still want to be doing it you know in 50 60 exactly. years yeah. time so you know we've got to do everything in our power to to um help uh, you know help people understand but also be be yeah. getting our our soil and our country into the healthiest state it can be and we want to be producing the best product that we can produce and so if that is going down this pathway then um yeah then so be it mm. yeah and we're probably pretty unique on the far northwest you know it's cons consistent rainfall you know 1050 mils every year year in year out you know, I can show records for the past 10 years and it's 1,050 every single year. Yeah, yeah. yeah, for sure. So it's it's that consistency. So um, we want to show some consistency too. So, yeah. I have to ask this question, Aidan. You have convinced, or not convinced, you've helped them work out 
how to take synthetic fertilizers and herbicides out of a commercial business. How did you do that? How long did that take? (laughs) When did they listen? Uh, Look, it's a continual process. Um, Got to remain profitable. Yes. Um, You know, we've got got weight to achieve. um, So that's that's all got to happen. Um, so I suppose you got to in life you got to back yourself in. Um, you got to understand, um, and and for myself, you got to do the research. You know you can't just do it on a whim and and get handed some nice um, pretty brochures and say, look, in six months you can you can change change this whole thing and it's all going to be happy days. You've got to put in the work and and really understand it. And that's where with NutriSoil, um, been so good at at making sure. Um, you understand why you're doing it, how to read soil tests, you know, podcasts with, with like-minded people, having people like Robin, Dave Hardwick, all those uh, all those people that they've got a passion for to see, um, you know, such healthy healthy systems. Um, it, it gives you a lot of confidence to go, yep, righto, this is fair income. And, and you can look to any part of the world, whether it's Richard Perkins in Sweden or John Kemp in America, you know, Joel Williams in um, Canada, any of those people, um, the amount of knowledge and understanding they have and they've, they've been there, they've done it. So, yeah, you just got to got to commit to it. And so that's, yeah, it's, it's a journey, but, uh, yeah, it's, it is uh, starting to happen. So, yeah. yeah. I think the thing is, like, on Red Part, we didn't just go cold turkey. Like, it was kind of like a slow wean off that. Um, and for, for me, really looking at the totals testing that we've done on our soil and seeing all of these um, things locked up and it's like, how do we have access? How do we gain access to those things? And like, we're not going to be just spreading, spreading phosphorus and, um, and nitrogen. We've got so much in our soil already. Like, that seems like it's crazy. Like, there must be something going on. And, mm. and yet for me... Like it was a real eye opener to see that we've got so many mm-hmm. um, things locked up. Um, something in this cycle must be amiss. So. And then if you start working out the costs, um, if yeah. you were to go and buy three point six ton of phosphorus per hectare or copper or cobalt, like that's millions of dollars worth of of mineral sitting there ready to utilise. And we totally understand that sometimes you've got to replenish those things. Mm. You can't just take, take, take and mm. not give. So, um, but that's where multi-species, microbial diversity, that activity, that's all going to come into play. For, because for Sarah and myself, like, um, we're young property owners. You know, we've done it all ourselves. Um, you know, the assumption might be, oh, you've you've been looked after elsewhere. But at the end of that, we've got our money where our mouth is. We've we've taken on this debt, and and at the end of the day, it is what it is. But but we want to do the best we can. So yeah. Yeah. From like all that knowledge that you've gained and you've seen, have you have the people that you're answering to and saying, look, we're not going to use synthetics anymore. Have they listened to any of this information or you've just, is it their direction that they're taking or you're really driving this? Yeah, I suppose I should really mention, um, so Greenham's uh, are just about to release a, a Greenham sustainability program. Um, so we've got our Never Ever program, which um, has lots of protocol around new grain, new antibiotics, um, no HGPs or GMs um, in the cattle. Um, but but taking a step forward in the sustainability space um, with um, healthy ecosystems 
also talking about you know people and, and how to manage them in a, in a healthy state so the company is definitely going into the direction um, of, of that sustainability or regenerative space um, so it's, it's that's probably been a helping hand to, yeah. to for them to understand that that um, yeah there is another way and and to, to bring that to the fore um, because at, at the consumer of, of um, our grass-fed meat especially out of America they're asking for regenerative claims. Um, you know, can you supply us with re regenerative um, products? So, for for me, that's probably there's a bit of satisfaction there that okay, it's actually happening. You know, a, a, on a worldwide basis, that that little old Tasmania, if we can produce a regenerative product, then that we've got access to a a big overseas market, and once again, will be profitable because we can supply them with a premium product. So, yeah. That's probably one of the biggest challenges in regenerative agriculture is to have that label to say you're regenerative, who's auditing it, that type of thing. So Greenham's have actually created their own, never, uh, did they create the Never Ever program? Correct, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Never Ever program, um, which aligns with the Certified Humane um, out of America yes. um, with, with their protocols. We've also got a, our GAP program, Global, Global Animal Partnership Program, which is a program also out of America. Um, so that's, you know, there's protocols and steps that producers have to do to be able to be a part of that program. Um, but yeah, interesting in the regenerative space, um, we'll have our protocol that's um, that's been set and and um, work through with our customers in America. Um, but very much um, that space is still probably quite new in the auditing type space or the parameters that might be set. And we've got to be really careful about how we we go about that but but there's definitely going to be um yeah an auditing process um that will align with the the new greenham sustainability program yeah wonderful well i just think uh well done well done to the both of you on being united you. in in uh, what you want to achieve and working together and being that next generation of agriculture and wanting to be on the farm for the next 50 years yeah. <laughs> uh so thank you very much for chatting with us today thank you for taking out on us out on um this beautiful farm and taking us to the end of the earth yeah that's it. the world <laughs> yeah. the world is that what it's called that's it yeah. it's a, a society in tasmania for anyone that, that's uh wondering what the hell we're talking about <laughs> but i think that's what we're going to name the podcast yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah thanks very much to nicole yeah, and nigel and the and, and robin as well um, you know, it's been a really cool journey so far and it's it's only just beginning. I think there's so much opportunity in the agricultural space. We can sit back and cross our arms and say it's all getting too hard and carbon and methane and emissions, it's all just getting too hard. But I think we've just got to sit down, have a think about it, change our perspective, ask ourselves some pretty hard questions and, and you never know where you'll end up. So. Please follow the Biological Farming Roundtable podcast. Share it with your friends and networks. I'm Nicola Maddick and I work at Nutrisoil, a liquid biological fertiliser made from a big worm farm whose purpose is to empower farmers to produce life-enriching food.